Open uh, your Bibles to Psalm 15 with me this morning. I said earlier that Psalm 24, the psalm we read together, was an echo. Uh, It's a companion psalm to Psalm 15, both written by David, and both giving us some interesting information that I wonder if many of us Christians today ever really consider. Actually, I know there is one time, at least in this church, so three or four times a year, um, we spend time doing what David talks about in this psalm. I know we do that for sure. But I wonder if we consider these things uh, any more often than that. And I wonder if maybe we should be considering the things that David's going to tell us in Psalm 15 every week. But before we get into that, I just want to set a little bit of uh, the scene for this psalm. In ancient Israel, uh, we're talking Moses days, Abraham days, but Moses and Aaron, um, the people of Israel were nomadic. They were constantly on the move. They didn't have one place that they called their home yet. God was taking them there. You'll remember that. Uh, But something that was unique to the people of Israel, because they were surrounded by nations that had lots of different gods, right? Something that was unique to the nation of Israel was that the Israelites' God chose to live with his people. He chose to dwell in their midst. So in Moses' and Aaron's day, where God lived was a tent. Everybody lived in tents. And the tent was called the tabernacle, and it was movable because God wanted to be able to go with his people. And he wanted to show them that he was with them. So in the middle of the camp, whenever they uh, got to the place they were going to be for a while, then they would set up their tents and they would set up God's house. And at God's house, in God's tent, is where you could come and meet with the Lord. Now, not just anybody could walk in. Uh, Priests could go in, but priests had to... Um, prepare themselves uh, in special ways to go and to meet with the Lord in his home. And in verse 1 of uh, Psalm 15, David uh, brings that back to the minds of the readers where he says, Lord, when he asks a question, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Lord, who may come into your holy tent, your home? And then he asks the question again. He says, Lord, who may dwell in your holy hill? Now he's updating the house of the Lord a little bit um, because in his day, uh, Israel was much more established, right? David was the one who united Israel. David was the one who established the kingdom of Israel. And so they weren't really moving around as much. They were stationary. And David lived in Jerusalem, which was the capital city. And David was given from the Lord... Um, the command to build a permanent home for God, the temple. Of course, he didn't realize it. He didn't see it in his day, but his son Solomon finished the temple. And so if you're an Israelite and you're reading this, then you are understanding exactly what David is talking about here, that we are talking about the house of God. coming, And that's where you came into God's presence, was his house. And Just like the tabernacle, you had to do certain things before you could go in out of reverence and respect. So in the temple, you had to do certain things out of reverence and respect. And it wasn't just anybody who was allowed in. Um, It was certain priests. And after they had washed themselves certain ways and sacrificed certain things and done certain rituals, basically, to signify 
that they were clean enough to enter the Lord's presence. So the question is, who can enter your tabernacle, Lord? Who can dwell in your holy hill? And if we updated that, who can come into your church, Lord? That's the question. Now, if you're here this morning um, and, and, and you love the Lord, you might be interested in this question. If you don't know the Lord, maybe you're not so interested, or maybe you are. But David's going to give us, um, basically, he's going to give us 10 requirements that anybody who wishes to approach the Lord must meet, or they're not invited. God is inviting certain house guests into his house. So I want to go through those, and I want to read to you exactly what the Israelites would have read and and what the people of God need to know that the Lord requires of anybody who comes into his house, and I want you to think about this morning if, number one, did you consider these things before you walked into the presence of the Lord, and number two, as you're sitting here hearing these things and seeing where you measure up, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Because... I don't know if we today consider this type of thing enough. What God wants his people to be like when they walk in on a Sunday morning. So let's get to it. He says in verse 2, now verse 2 and verse 4 are going to be connected. In verse 2 and verse 4, there's five do's, five things you should do. And then in verse 3 and verse 5, or the beginning of verse 5, there's going to be five things you shouldn't do, and that's connected. And so we're going to get uh, five things we need to do and five things we need to avoid doing. And what's interesting, I think, as I was studying this, is I found that they kind of boiled down to the same thing. And I'm going to try and sum them all up in one sentence after we read it. Um, but they boil down to the same idea. Now, as we read this, keep in mind, this is what God asks anyone who approaches him to do. Anyone who wants to come into his home He asks you to do these things. Uh, In verse 2, he starts out and he says, um, this is David, so he's answering the question. So who can enter into the tabernacle? Who can come to the holy hill? Who can come before the Lord? It's the person who walks uprightly and works righteousness. It's the person who speaks the truth in his heart or hers. In verse 4, it's the person in whose eyes a vile person is despised but it's also the person who honors those who fear the Lord. And it's the person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Verse 2 is basically saying that if you want to approach the Lord, you must live, speak, and act with integrity. Now, I want to point out at the beginning here, there's no qualifying statements as far as time goes. So it's not right before you come in. It's not when you're in there with the Lord. It's for all time. (laughs) Every minute, the Lord is asking us to live, speak, and act with integrity in your job situation, in your family situation, in whatever situation you find yourself in. The Lord is asking that anyone who wishes to come into his house to approach him would live that way. So you have to ask yourself, do I do that? Do I always live and speak and act with integrity? And it's not just on the outside. It's not just lip service. It's not just, um, 
yeah, I do a lot of good things or, or, or I volunteer. But David is also saying it's in the heart as well. Your whole being has to live, act, and speak with integrity so that when you go home after church or after you're hanging out with your Christian friends or whatever, you're not a different person than when you were sitting before the Lord in his home. That at all times, you live, act, and speak with integrity. Now that's kind of verse two summed up, and that leads to verse four, which leads you to be someone who respects and honors other people. So if you can think about, if you wanna have kind of a picture of what this looks like. So in order to have a relationship this way that is uh, honoring to the Lord, in the way that he wants it, then you have to do certain things, right? And when you do those certain things to honor the Lord, then your relationship's out this way, right? The vertically and the horizontally arrow thing. When you, have, when you honor the Lord this way, then you also have to honor the peop- his created order, his people, out this way. So if I'm living, speaking, and acting with integrity with my whole being, then I will be somebody who respects other people. Now, you might see some of this language as a qualifier, but when we look at the next section too, we're going to see that it's not just certain people I'm supposed to respect, but I'm supposed to respect everyone. But what I'm not supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do is let anybody continue to live in evil and sin against the Lord. Now, this is talking to the people of God, right? So as fellow believers, we have a duty to help each other avoid evil and sin. And we have to go to great lengths to do that. So what this isn't saying is um, you despise a vile person. It doesn't mean as soon as somebody does something that upsets you or, or you think is wrong or, or, or is clearly against what the Lord says, that doesn't say, okay, you're gone, rejected, you're out. It's not saying that. What it's saying is, is this, uh, walk with this person until you can determine that they have no desire to honor the Lord. And when that happens, then maybe it's time to cut ties. But see, what we're doing is we're removing ourselves from evil. And if you can kind of see where uh, this is a process of holiness. And if you think about the house of the Lord, uh, it was called the Holy of Holies, right? Like the innermost point of the temple or the innermost point of the tabernacle was where God was said to live. Like there were some outside rooms and some foyers and things that you kind of went through first and you could get pretty close. But then in the very middle of the tabernacle and the temple was the Holy of Holies. And you better not go in there unless you are holy like the Lord is holy. So you see what David is doing here is he's giving us this process of becoming holy like the Lord. And these are the five things we need to do. Live, speak, and act with integrity and with our whole beings. And we need to respect everyone and we need to be sure that we are cutting ties with anybody who at the end of the day says, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I will not live for him. We need to be uh, becoming holy. It's almost like a ritual that the priests would do to clean themselves, right? But it's not a ritual, it's a way of life. So that's the first, two, uh, that's the first five things in verse two and verse four. And then there are uh, five things to avoid in verses three and the beginning of verse five. And what we need to avoid is this. 
He who does not backbite with his tongue. So, so who can enter the tabernacle? He who does not back, backbite with his tongue. Nor does evil to his neighbor. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. It's he who does not put his money at usury. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And basically what David is saying is, in order for me to approach the Lord, what needs to be true about my life is I must not gossip. I must not harm anybody I associate with. So you can define neighbor however you want, but the idea here is that anybody you come in contact with. Like right now we're all neighbors. So I'm not supposed to harm you in any way. And the same is true from you to me. And then it even goes kind of uh, closer to home and he talks about our friendships. And we must not be part of disgracing our friendships. You see... This is why I can say that uh, David isn't saying once somebody does something wrong, you just get rid of them, but you actually um, respect people enough to love them because David is saying, listen, our relationships with each other matter and how we treat each other matter, and it reflects what we think about the Lord. If you have a friend and you're willing to disgrace them in front of their face or behind their backs, I don't know, then you don't think very highly of the Lord because he says you should not do that. Our relationships with other people and our relationships with the Lord, it's all important and it all has to be holy in order for us to approach the Lord, in order for us to dwell in his presence, in order for us to come into his house. We have to be holy like he is holy. In Psalm 24, it asks that same question. I don't know if you remember that now, but it said, who can come, who can stand uh, at the heights with the Lord? And it says the person who's pure of heart and pure of hands. So inside you're pure, you don't do evil, and outside, you don't do evil. It's the same thing as what he's saying here. Now, I said before that I kind of want, I think both of these sections, the do's, and the, do, the do's and the don'ts, I think they sum up into the same idea. And I think what God is saying here is that in order to be holy, uh, in order to show the love of God, we need to be able to love our neighbors as ourselves. And isn't that part of the two great commandments that Jesus says, Right? When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, they're trying to trick him, trying to put one of God's commands over the other to see if he is going to, uh, if he's going to blaspheme in any way. And Jesus sums everything up in the Ten Commandments. And he sums everything up in these Ten Commandments. And he sums everything up that the Lord is asking us to do to be holy. And he says, first of all, you have to love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, your whole being. And then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing those two things, you are holy as the Lord is holy. If you're doing those two things every moment of every day, you are holy as he is holy, and you can approach his presence. You can come into this room on Sunday mornings knowing that you are invited and welcome and nothing would happen. Nothing bad would ever happen in here. The Israelites didn't think that might be true at the tabernacle and the temple because they thought, if I go in there and just the one thing is wrong, God might take me out. They would tie ropes and bells to their ankles, the priests would, so that if they fell over dead because they didn't get it right, they, they would know and they could pull the body out because no one else was going in there after that. Like They took the holiness of the Lord in his home so seriously that it was a life or death issue. And I wonder if we do the same thing. So consider where you stand with these 10 requirements. 
This morning when you got up, you might not have done the check. You might not have gone through this checklist. But now think back. This past week, past few hours before you got here. Can you match up to these 10 requirements? If we were honest, I think maybe we might get up and leave. But don't leave. Don't worry, don't leave. Bring it back here. But really, if we were truly honest, we might get up and leave. Because if we understand how serious God takes his house and his presence and his holiness, then we, should just, we need to take it that seriously as well. But I think Psalm 15 is a gospel psalm. I think Psalm 15, like, you know, people like to say the New Testament's the God of love and, and Jesus is all about love and there's the gospel in there and the Old Testament's all the scary death and, and hard stuff and, and God's not about love then. But I think Psalm 15, squarely in the New, Old Testament, is a picture of the gospel because it should stir you and I up to realize that we have a divine problem that needs a divine solution. I can't match up to this. So honestly, I should never try to come into the Lord's house because I cannot keep these things the way the Lord requires them because I'm not holy. I'm not holy enough. As much as I might try, I'm not holy enough. But the beautiful thing about God's word is that you can learn something in one section and it's complemented by another section. And so I want you to uh, turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews is one of my favorite books. Hebrews is kind of the book on, if you want to know about Jesus, it's the book. The whole Bible is about Jesus, but Hebrews is a case study of Jesus. It talks about how Jesus fulfills the law, how he's the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied, how he's the son of God, how he's exactly what we need for our divine problem of sin. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we get, uh, we get this picture of the tabernacle. We get this picture of the temple. We get the picture of that, that situation, the house of the Lord, and how Jesus relates to it. And not just how Jesus relates to the house of the Lord, but how Jesus relates to you and I and our position in the house of the Lord. It, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says this, therefore, brethren, therefore, people of God, therefore, those who are, are interested in being in the presence of the Lord, have boldness to enter the holiest. Now, that would have been a really shocking statement, especially for any, uh, any, any Israelite or any Jew at the time reading this. To hear that and to think, I can boldly enter the holiest. That's that middle place in the tabernacle. That's that middle place in the temple that only certain priests could go at certain times. And that was this big veil, heavy cloth that was in front of it because it was, you, it was just so powerful in there. It was so holy in there. But the writer of Hebrews says, have boldness to enter the holiest. How? By the blood of of Jesus by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us that's Jesus consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh I think Psalm 15 is a gospel psalm because it puts me in front of the house of the Lord and it says you can't enter and then it's connected to Hebrews later on God says but I've made a way for you to enter 
I've made a way for you, despite the fact that you don't measure up, despite the fact that you don't meet those do's and the don'ts, despite that fact, I've made a way for you to come into my house because I want you to come into my house. There's so many things we could explore here, and I do have the time. Other sermons, other sermons. But the implications are astounding. God made his house. (laughs) He invited people in. People weren't willing to, we weren't willing to meet his requirements. We won't meet his requirements because we'd rather uh, be lost in our sin. And he said, I will still make a way for you to come in. Let me handle that problem for you. And the handling of that problem is found in the blood of Jesus and through the sacrifice of his body and through his, resur- his bodily resurrection three days later. Through the person of Christ, you and I are invited in and we can enter boldly. He goes on, the writer of Hebrews in verse 21, and says, and having a high priest over the house of God, the temple, the tabernacle, this building, the church, the, the church at large, Right? The church is more than a building, but it's what we, uh, we raise to the Lord to represent that we are coming to meet with him. We have a high priest over the house of God. That is Jesus. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's like if you walk up to the tabernacle and you see a list of things and you look through and it says only these people may enter. And you're going through and, and, and you maybe you check off a bunch or maybe you check off a few. But if you, check off, or if you can't check off any of those, you're not allowed in. But then Jesus comes through and he takes that list down. And he said, I paid that list for you. Will you come in and fellowship with me in the Lord? I get chills when I think about that because I know me. <laughs> I know my heart. And for God to do that for me is, is incredible. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Basically, it's imperative that the people of God meet. Now, today it looks a little differently, and we've had to, we've, we've here personally experienced not being able to physically meet. But that's not, I don't think that's wrong, because we were still attempting wherever we were to meet together to honor the Lord. But the point is that the people of God must meet. We must meet to remind each other that A, we are not worthy enough to approach the Lord, and B, maybe it's A and one A, Jesus has made the way possible. If you're here this morning or you're listening this morning and you don't, if you're not covered by the blood of Jesus, the first thing you must do in order to approach the Lord in boldness and in faith and not be cowering on the floor is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and his, and his death and resurrection for salvation. And if you're here this morning and you can claim the blood of Christ, well, then that last part in Hebrews Uh, echoes Psalm 15, where it says, I'm supposed to love God. If I've got my relationship with the Lord taken care of through Christ, then I better be about my relationships with people. I better be about loving my neighbor as myself, right? What's it say? Not forsaking the assembly, um, 
sorry, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That means let me go around to my fellow believers and find out what's going on in your life and how can I support you towards Christ? How can you point me towards Jesus? That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be honoring God alone. Like he didn't set it up that way. He gave us a church, a community of people, so that we could be um, understanding and living out the, 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 um, the gospel of Jesus together. If you're covered in the blood, you're invited into the Lord's presence, despite your shortcomings, despite them. If you're covered in the blood, you don't have to be afraid that if you do somehow make it past the door, you're going to get found out and thrown back out. If you're covered by the blood, you are welcome always. And when you're covered by the blood, then it is your responsibility to do these 10 things to the best of your ability and trust God for the rest and to help your fellow believers do these same things. It doesn't change, the the gospel of Jesus doesn't change what the Lord requires to be in his presence It just makes it possible for a sinner like me to experience the presence of the Lord. And so when I understand that I'm an outsider and I could never hope to get into that tabernacle, I could never hope to get into that temple because there's no way I could ever match up uh, to the standards that God set. When I realize that that's where I stand, but then Jesus walked out and said, will you please come in? I'll make it okay then that should lead me to say, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. I am so grateful to be able to come and worship you, not just on Sundays, but anytime, right? To come before the Lord at any moment. And so that should spur me on to want to do these five things I need to do and avoid the five things I, should, I shouldn't do. So that's why I think Psalm 15 is a gospel psalm. That's why I think Psalm 15 is important for us to consider and that's why I think we should, um, we should really consider what it means to come into the presence of the Lord whenever we do that. And it's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come into your throne room. Without Jesus, Lord, we would never have a hope of getting this far. So, Father, I thank you for his sacrifice. Jesus, I thank you for doing what I could not, for being perfect and holy in a way I cannot. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has not put their trust and faith in the saving work of the blood of Christ, that they would right now. And I thank you, Lord, that as soon as we choose to do that, then you invite us into your presence with no fear. And you invite us into your presence, not as enemies, but as children. Father, I pray that we would consider what it means to come before you every time we do. And we would consider how we can best honor you with our lives and how we can live holy as you ask us to do. Father, thank you for Christ and his power and help us to do all things through that in your name. Amen.